And good morning, everyone, and welcome to Small Biz Around Matters. Australia, you're tuned in to... There says, did that again. It did that to me last week. Hello, everyone. We're still experiencing technical difficulties here at Triple H, but hey, that's the hodgepodge that is community radio. Welcome to everyone. You are listening to Small Biz Matters, a half-hour program where you work on your business rather than in it. My name is Alexi Boyd, and I am super excited about today. We're in the middle of a guest fest, actually. We've had some fantastic guests over the last few weeks, and today we've got a, a very special expert in her field who's going to be sharing us with us a lot of knowledge, uh, especially for small business. Welcome to the show, Natasha. Thank you, Alexi. It's lovely to be here. Now, Natasha, you are a, 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 a well-renowned uh, expert in employment matters when it comes to not only small business, but all the way up to the corporate world, of course. And, and you're an author. Now, everyone sort of goes, ah, oh, yeah, I wrote a book. But you know what? I, I read the book last week and I just went, this is so, there's so much knowledge in here. There's obviously a great deal of experience and there's a great deal of, um, uh, you know, uh, experiences that you've been part of in terms of the journey that you go through with your businesses and I think that that's what I really enjoyed reading with this book it's not just about the processes and the procedures which everyone knows that I'm a big fan of but but rather the um, the journey that you go through with your clients and I think that to me is is something that's great to, to impart in a book rather than just me 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 yeah <laughs> oh, look when I wrote it I actually had a post-it note on my computer that said I want a dog eared I wanted the book to become a dog eared companion for a business owner that literally sits on their desk and then they pick it up and go oops I need to have one of those difficult conversations mm. that's page da, da, da. all right and now I'm confident to go mm. in and have that difficult conversation and and the feedback I've got from the book so far has really been that way there's no point in talking about HR or employment from a very technical point of view because everyone will go to sleep but mm. the reality is that business owners if you've got employees are going to have some of these challenges and you need to make it easy and readable and interesting for them to read yeah and I think that's what you what you nail as well and and I think from your perspective you've kind of you've kind of seen it all. Your, your book is called From Hire to Fire and Everything in Between. And plus you're an owner of an HR, successful HR firm called Employee Matters. Um, so you draw on your experience, your skills, you've helped small to medium sized businesses all the way up to corporate, navigating the compliance world. And you know, it's, it's, it's ridiculously compliant to heavy really when you look at it from a, a business that might walk into this with zero employees trying to hire employees for the first time it is ridiculously difficult and uh, and hard to navigate all that red tape and you know we might talk about um, politicians who are saying they're trying to cut red tape yeah, it's not the reality, really, day-to-day -day for business. It's really not. No, and I have to say, one of my favourite clients once said to me, you know what, Natasha, running a business would be so much fun if I didn't have to have employees. <laughs> and she's not alone. You know, there are a lot of people who actually think like that. And unfortunately, people don't go into business because they want to have employees. That's not their burning desire to start a business. Well, I want to grow a team of 10 or I want to grow a team of five. They go into business because they are passionate about admin or they're passionate about bookkeeping or uh, real estate whatever it happens to be but unfortunately as a result of that in order to grow your business most businesses require resources or people and with that comes some legal obligations and people are humans so there's some complexity there and that makes it a bit more challenging for business owners but it makes it interesting too exactly. as it's nice to grow that team but you know I think everybody thinks that in uh, in the world of business wouldn't it be great if I could just duplicate myself just get the Xerox out and you know make photocopies of myself but even if that was the case, you'd probably drive yourself crazy, to be honest. <laughs> now, your your background is really interesting. We like to start these shows with a little bit of uh, where your journey is. And, and for me, when we met over coffee, I found it absolutely fascinating 
where your journey of HR has come from. Now, please tell uh, tell the listeners a little bit about that fast-paced world of hiring and firing in India and and, and, and overseas um, and all the complexity that went with that. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, I was lucky enough. I got my big break and I got to work for a professional services firm and, and was able to progress through the ranks to sort of a, a HR manager. And then I was single at the time and in my early 30s and I thought, I'm off to London like everyone does. I'd already been there as a nanny, but I was going back. So I transferred to the London office and I was lucky enough to be able to get a transfer or a secondment down to India uh, where they were hiring 500 people in five weeks and they were just flying people in from all over the world and I literally was sent down there to be the HR manager uh, until they hired a local resource and I arrived and I didn't meet my boss for three weeks so I just had to make it up as I went. Had a team of five, none of which who'd ever worked for a woman before. So they thought that was really novel that they got to work for a woman. But they were all going to get married before me, but none of them were engaged and I'd got engaged the night before I left. And so it was you know, from a cultural point of view, it was fascinating. And we had to do lots of training, cultural training. We had a SARS outbreak down there. We had chicken pox, which could wipe out, you know, the entire workplace because no one was inoculated. Um, you know, we had guys and girls that wouldn't sit on a table together. You know, there was, it was fascinating. Really great experience. Then the, the electricity would go off and 10 times a day, your computer would lock down and then you'd have to start again. But from a cultural perspective and a growing experience of just having to make do uh, fascinating and and also really just being thrown into into the into the fire really yeah I mean they said there would be oh you talk about all those complex issues but then on top of that you've also got to try and implement all of the HR practices which you're familiar with was there a lot of mapping for what you were expecting to be able to do versus what the end product which I'm sure was hugely successful but did you find yourself just having to say right well this is my normal process Mm. I'm just going to take seven steps back and then yeah I mean the business was absolutely brilliant globally you could go into any office in the world and it worked the same way and that was the beauty of the business however India was a different scenario and you know I would go in and sit in my desk at about you know seven eight o'clock in the morning and uh, in in India they start late and finish late but the a lot of the expats started early and by say 11 o'clock there was a queue of 20 people at my desk back to back that wanted to work out when they were getting paid or somebody's father had gone ill and they had to go back home and so there was a whole lot of complexity and I think the first thing that I did was realized I couldn't do it on my own and so I had to grab all of the senior managers that were all newbies as well and start an exec meeting and just try and deal with the issues and that was very powerful so when I eventually got to meet my boss three weeks later and actually get the brief of what I was meant to be doing we already had made some inroads and so that worked really well and I made some great friends down there that, that I'm still connected with now. Well I mean that's a huge success and it's a real it goes to show that that experience going overseas is it can be really beneficial um, and it helps to sort of build your skills and expertise in your area. So you came back um, after you'd done all this international work you obviously worked in the UK um, and you learned very quickly all those issues. Um, what did you do when you returned to, to begin the business and was it an easy transition? I think sometimes you wake up and you find yourself you've got a business. So, you know, basically I came back, I'd been made redundant from the business in the UK, but came back newly married, newly pregnant, got picked up again by the same business and started working in contracts. And then the global financial crisis hit and I'd had two babies in quick succession and I was out of a job. So I had to do my own, uh, do my own consulting and I actually started work for someone else. And I did two years and I started to grow it and I could see there was a market, but I, I realized I could do it better than they could do it. So I I literally 
printed off a, a business plan from the government website and wrote it out. And you actually did of, a business plan I first I did thing? a business plan and I gave it did to it my work? husband. Was it success? Did it, was it helpful? It's interesting. I've gone back three years later and we're on target. It's oh, amazing well what happened when you put it subconsciously into your brain. I think it then you start to work to that. Mm. And so anyway, we started um, Employee Matters. My husband has morphed into the business and we've got a team of 10 across Australia and, and New Zealand. But it's been a fascinating journey. And I think from my own perspective, I understand what business owners are going through because I've done it myself. I've made all the mistakes they've made and more probably and and it's again because my expertise is HR but it's not finance it's not social media it's not legal it's not compliance not insurance but you need to get all of that right and you need to educate yourself as a business owner so that you can do you can really do what you want to do and do what you're passionate about it's actually something that I, uh, I spoke about with a, a business coach that I had on the, on the show a couple of years ago where she said you should never engage with anyone who's not in business themselves who is not literally going through the same things that you are and you are that that information they're going to give you is one piece of a puzzle, but they're aware of the whole piece of the puzzle as well. So speaking of pieces of puzzles, um, obviously we're here to talk today about um, about employment and, and regulation and and the difficulty that small businesses face. So the first thing we talked about when we when we met was of course that and something that hit home is it's a massive investment. It really is. Um, I remember my dad used to work for IBM and he said whenever we would hire someone, it's a hundred and thirty percent of the salary. I don't know if that's the same figure anymore, if he was just bandying things about. But once you take the salary plus all the admin, plus all the HR and the training time and everything else, do you, do you think that's an yeah, accurate figure? So the statistic is it's cost you between 50 and 150% on top of the base salary based on the level of complexity of the role. So at a junior level, if you're paying about 50 grand, you could expect to pay 50% in on costs. And that covers things like advertising, recruitment fees, time to get that individual up to speed, time to train them and so on and so forth. So you need to get it right, one, mm, mm. And, and you don't want that churn or that recruitment turnover because if it's going to cost you 50 to 150% every time, I'm you're going out to hire, that's going to get a very expensive yeah, thing. Yeah, the turnover, yeah. And I think one of the best bits of advice I could give any small business owner is invest in yourself and get better at recruiting because often we get called in when it's gone bad and we have to exit them, but it's usually because the business owner doesn't understand a, a, a best practice recruitment process, but also how to assess that candidate. Can mm. they actually do what they say they mm. can do? And, you know, are you really fully informed when you've interviewed them to make sure that they are right for your business? in terms of a cultural fit, behavioural fit and also technical skills. And that is a real skill set. I mean, I'm, I'm going to be the first person to put up there to say when I worked as an office manager, I was utterly crap at assessing whether or not somebody was any good. At, I thought everyone was fabulous. I thought everyone had potential and everyone, see, this is the teacher in me yeah. going, oh, you're all wonderful. It's all going to be great. And and they're not. And and being able to discern whether or not someone, and you, you're doing an injustice to the employee, aren't you? If, you? if you hire them and then you take them on and work with them for you know, six months and it turns out to not work. Well, you've wasted their time as well as your own. Exactly. And one of the best things I would suggest to business owners is do reference checks. The amount of people who don't do reference checks and you're letting somebody into your business that you don't know anything about. Mm. And, and I would even go so far as to get them to bring their passport along because that's an ID check and also their right to work because they the business owner is liable if you haven't checked their right to work uh, status in Australia, you can be pinged for that. So, you know, there are a couple of things and people always say with reference checks, they say, 
well, they're just going to give me who their mate is. Well, you need to get clever around your interview. So when you're interviewing and you say, at company ABC, who did you report into that in that role? George. Okay. And at the next company, who did you report into? Fred. And then if you get down to the bottom of the CV and Mary and, and June are the, the referees, well, then I'd be querying why <laughs> George and Fred aren't. So you need to get smarter about it so that you're actually talking to the people who can actually give you good feedback on whether they are the right fit for your business or not. And are you a fan of the very basic social media check as well? Uh, yes. It, funnily enough, legal hasn't caught up to that and it's getting more and more. Uh, classic example, and this was a small business client. So we had, it was a travel consultancy. They were hiring, they uh, did travel, corporate travel for some very big names in Australia. And um, they had this fellow in, they thought he was fantastic. And the girls in the office, when the MD came out, they did the Facebook check. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And he had had some extremely, extremely inappropriate conversations with his mates publicly on Facebook, which he was unaware at the time was, was public. public. And we had to uh, rescind the offer because there was no way they could put him to look after the account that he was going to be managed. And he was mortified. But my view is that you can find out some things and, and you probably should, but you just need to be careful because it is a not necessarily an extension of the workplace. It is their personal life, not their work life. Yeah. So at the moment, there are no hard and fast legal rules about it that will change over time. Um, it, the discrimination, anti-discrimination laws will surely catch up. Yes. You, I mean, you can't discriminate against someone on their, oh yeah, you can, on the basis of their Thought, I don't know, thought processes, their their opinions, political. I suppose political persuasion. Yeah, you can't yeah. On political persuasion. No, so I suppose it won't it won't be too long. Before. So make the most of it, everyone. Make the most of the social media <laughs> checks. Now, when we come back after a short break, we're going to be uh, talking more about some really great strategies and tips for small business when it comes to engaging with employees for the first time. You are listening to Small Biz Matters, the half hour program where you work on your business rather than the internet. We'll be back after this. Is something that um, I guess people do try and escape, Natasha, when they when they hire employees. Do you think some people, as small businesses, grab hold of employees so they're not feeling so they isolated? They want some company. Yeah. And look, you know, two brains are always better than one, so it does make sense. And the tricky thing is, and you might have some insight into this, every time I've been to any sort of a, a convention where people are talking about business growth, the first question inexperienced business ask, owners ask is, who did you hire first? Mm. So in all of your fabulous HR knowledge, in your experience, I know it's how long's a piece of string, but is it the salesperson or is it the support staff? Yeah, look, I think it, it depends on your core skill. So you hire people who are good at what you're not good at. Mm. And that could be outsourced or that could be internally. And uh, we have a great little thing on our website where you can go in and do a little assessment because usually that is the struggle for small business owners. Am I in a position to hire yet? And so we've got a little activity that we take you through to oh, walk fantastic. through what you actually want them to do. What do you? And there's an assessment about what you spend your time doing. And then you have to be really tough on yourself and you have to say, what are you good at? And then what are the bits that you aren't so good at? And that would be the stuff that I'd be looking to get somebody into your business. So it depends on the business person's skill set. And that's obviously available on the Employee Matters website. Yes. Oh, fantastic resource. Thank you so mm. much. So speaking of resources and strategies, you're walking into your first employee and you're engaging with someone. And before the break, you were mentioning how it's important when you're interviewing to really uh, I wouldn't say grill them, but make sure you're dotting all the I's and crossing all the T's when it comes to their experiences and, and whether or not they're legitimate as who they say they are. Um, what other tips would you give for the actual engagement process and hiring? 
Yeah, I think most people tend to hire their first employee and show them the desk and the seat and then expect them to learn through osmosis. <laughs> and your employees are at the greatest risk of resigning within the first three months of being hired. And the risk and the reason for that is they're going through an enormous amount of change. But often as a business owner, we don't invest the time in getting them up to speed. So for example, in our business, we have a face-to-face three-hour orientation session with myself and the general manager. They then have a whole lot of recorded training they need to attend. They've got to go through, it's quite checklisted, it's quite detailed. And then there's on on sort of buddy support as well. And that whole process can take about six weeks to effectively onboard them into the business, but that sets them up for success. So I would encourage everybody. And in that, you're going to talk about things like your culture, what's valuable to you. And I think one of the best bits of advice I ever got was you, you are completely transparent with your team. So with our team, we share our financials. We are very open and honest. And um, Gail Kelly said, you need to have the right people on the bus and the wrong people off the bus. And when you talk about your culture, that should be infused right from the recruitment space to the orientation, right through to the day to day. So another example is in our business, we um, get everyone to fill out a what mattered and employee matters at the end of the week, which is a summary report because I run a virtual team. So that is a report back to me at the end of the week about what they've been focused on. But one of the critical questions in that uh, in that questionnaire is what core value of employee matters did you live this week and can you give me an example? So you're always drawing it back. You're always drawing it back. Yeah, because it's one thing to just sit there and go, here's a piece of paper with our core values on it. Can you sign it and say that you understand it? And then yeah. just walk away for the next five years. Lip and not, service. Yeah, exactly. But actually in, in, intrinsically making that a part of your process process on a weekly basis. Mm. That's a fantastic tip. Yeah, works really well. And also, you were talking about the processes and procedures um, of hiring. Now, uh, yeah, so many times you and I see people who just, it's, it's a knee jerk. It's a, oh my God, I'm so busy. I need someone right now. Again, you're sitting down on someone expecting them to draw on their skills and expertise in a completely different business and be able to work in your business. What would you suggest in a perfect world is a good lead in time to hiring your first employee? Um, in uh, to hiring, as in how long it would take you to um, hire, to recruit? Yeah, or? from recruitment all the way through to setting up all your processes and procedures and their start date. Yeah, I think it takes about six months to get somebody fully up to speed um, that's new into your business. And so I, lo- I think a lot of people expect them to get up to speed much quicker than that. But obviously, if you've got the systems and the support in place, that's going to happen potentially quicker. And the more senior roles, sometimes the longer lead time to be able to get someone in. Um, so, you know, I think you really need to make sure that you've set them up for success, that you've given them everything that they need and actually check in with them weekly. We um, uh, recommend our clients and it's one of our tools on our Hire to Fire Toolkit is that you sit down with your employee and we've got this lovely little checklist that you go through and ask them a whole lot of questions. You know, what surprised you about your first week in the business? What did you enjoy? Is there anything that's not making sense to you? So you've immediately opened up that open communication so they're actually okay to say to you, Alexi, you know what? I really don't understand that. Mm. Because if they're not telling you that, you don't know, you know, what, what's making sense and what isn't. And sometimes people are embarrassed and they don't want to say that they've not done it. But if you are open about what you're good at and, and having that open conversation and that feedback straight away, then it's going to mean that there's less chance of having some problems down the track because there's, they're more happy to come up to you and say, I need help. Now, you mentioned in the in the a point where you start to engage with them straight away and make sure that the, the the business is very open and communicative and you make them aware of what how they fit into the big picture. Uh, would you say that happens immediately? I mean, there's a bit of a trust that needs to be brought yeah, in. Yeah, we, we do it immediately. Now, and I know, and our engagement levels in our business are 95, 98%. 
um, which are fantastic. And and the feedback I get from my team is they are really bought in and they're really loyal because of that trust. Now, there will be somebody, Alexi, that will take you at some point. But your, your contracts must be ironclad. Yeah, they're very tight. But also, too, the uplift that we get from being so open and honest with our team far outweighs the risk. Trust, and my, trust is so important. You've got to it? give it to get it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and not only for them to bring in what they, they can give, but also for that, them to give something back and say, look, this isn't working or this isn't functioning properly or I need more information or more training. Now, talk to me about the importance of training because I was speaking to um, uh, Shelley last week, who's an employment lawyer, and talked about the importance of making sure you are ticking that box, not only for your um, outsourced employee, your, your overseas employees that come in, but also for your uh, current, your Australian employees. Is training important and Absolutely. how on earth can small business do that? Well, look, I think that's one of the big changes. Um, it, recently, people with the GFC have stopped training and we are actually currently in the tightest applicant market I've ever seen in my uh, career. And when I say it's a tight applicant market, that means that if you were to put an ad out for an EA three years ago, an executive assistant, I would have got 100 applications of which 20 could do the job. I'll put that identical ad out now and I'll get 20 applications of which two can do the job. One's brilliant and if you don't move quickly, you'll miss out. Really? And the second one's average. And the reason for that is I think our businesses have evolved drastically and we haven't kept up with training our people. There are a couple of pieces of training you must do. Uh, one is appropriate workplace behaviour training, which is, you know, what's appropriate workplace behaviour. And that's a great defence if somebody sexually harasses or bullies someone. You can say, look, I, I, I've run appropriate workplace behaviour training. George knows it's not appropriate to put his hand on Natasha's lap and <laughs> and and therefore you're protected mm. and they'll go after George rather than after you mm. um, but policies you need to train your team in policies it's all very well and good to say well we had a drug and alcohol policy but if no one knew that it wasn't appropriate to drink three bottles of wine in the, in the office on a Friday night well then how can you defend that so you do need to do that and that's not expensive training that's fairly cheap and it can be done by the business owner or you can outsource it but I think skills assessment we're not doing enough forward thinking. So productivity in Australia is a real issue at the moment. We don't have the productivity levels we should have. So productivity for your listeners is if you're paying someone $60,000 a year, you want to get 100% productivity out of them. I would argue most business owners are lucky if they're getting 75. And and so you need to work out where, where are the skills gaps, but also where do you want that individual to go in the future? If your business grows and if you're doing that future planning and you've got your three-year plan, you know your headcount may increase by five. But what, what does that mean for the people who are in the business now? Because that might keep them with you longer to know that there is a future and there's an option of this job or this job. And so having those conversations will reduce, uh, reduce your attrition, but also train them up will keep them as well. And it's, as we've talked about, it's so expensive to hire and there's not a great market out there at the moment. So invest in the people that you've got. You know, when they walk out the door with that knowledge capital that they've caught in their brain, the value, physical dollar value of that is incredible. It takes a long time to replace. So really work out who in your team you want to keep, nurture them and, and over-reward them and train them. And the ones that aren't, then you need to exit. And mm. I am a great believer in exiting people who are not performing or not a good cultural fit. And that, and that leads me to my next point, which is which is obviously, what do you do when things are not working? Mm -hmm. uh, that is a huge hurdle for small business. And so many, we're hearing more and more stories about them being caught out, being taken for unfair dismissal. And then they're going through an employment audit and finding that they're not uh, meeting their criteria when it comes to payroll obligations and things like that. So the exit strategy is obviously important as well. Um, 
but how do you give me some really basic mm. tips on how a small business can make sure that they're ticking the boxes to ensure that they don't um, get taken for unfair dismissal? Yeah, the first thing, well, the statistics, you're absolutely right. Uh, there are more, I think the statistics was last quarter of last year, there were 3,500 uh, complaints and unfair dismissal complaints. In a quarter. Yep, yeah, in a quarter. And 57 of them were found against the employer. Now, the reason for that is they haven't got a fancy HR team and often they've let it go for so long and then they snap and then they're out the door. Now, there are a number of things that you need to do. Uh, the first thing is to have regular feedback sessions so that the individual knows that they're not performing. Give them every chance to improve that performance, but you need to document stuff and you actually need to have a conversation and you need to actually offer them a support person to have that meaning. Now, if you don't offer that support person, you've automatically failed the unfair dismissal test. So you need to get better at this. And there are some tools and we've got some stuff in our hide, a fire toolkit, which will help you actually, if you fill out that form, you'll stay ahead of the law. Now, the challenge is, though, that can't stop them taking an unfair dismissal complaint against you. It costs $69.80 and a phone call to Fair Work. And the next thing you get a phone call or a letter saying your attendance is required at a mediation session. The issue for small business owners, and remember, we know what it's like, you have to fill out about eight to 10 pages worth of documentation to prepare for that meeting to submit before. And then you've got to attend the mediation, which is going to take a couple more hours. So you may end up there and have done everything right and just uh, and luckily walk out the door at that point. But if you haven't, then the pro it progresses along and it can be very expensive. We've got a calculator that calculates if you're paying yourself, I think it's $50 an hour and you're paying them 60 grand and it goes all the way through the unfair dismissal complaint and you get the full whack, which is six months salary and or reinstatement, it would cost you about $57,000. Oh, wow. And all the costs in terms of time and on cost, potential legal costs. So it's expensive. And the trouble is, if they don't know what their rights are, their friends and family certainly do. And, you know, they will, you know, the issue is that you do this poorly. And uh, even though the reason why you wanted to terminate someone would be fair and reasonable, mm. the way you did it, you fail on a technicality. So what is the incentive for people then knowing that there's all of these regulations even around the, the, act, the act of exiting someone when they, you have every right to do so morally and, and from a point of view of them you know, being a detriment to your business? Why would anyone hire someone? Because your employees are your greatest asset and also your greatest weakness. And I see them as an asset when you hire well, manage well, and fire well. Mm. Um, so your key, your employees are a fundamental um, part of your business and can make you much more successful than you ever would be on your own. But you need to get better at this stuff. You need to not have that that osmosis view. You need to have a view that these a part of your team. I would even go so far as, you know, it's one of those things. I I really despise the word staff. I think it's very them, us. It's very blue collar. You know, think of they're your team. team. And, and you may come up with a snazzy name that might work with your business name, but get them to feel included. Get them to feel part of it. Because guess what? I don't know all the answers as a business owner. And I always say my team are my greatest strength because collectively, most of them have got more experience than I do. Mm. And collectively, we've got over 180 years worth of experience you know, that can do everything in that range. And that can work for you too. And being brave enough as a business owner to say, I don't know everything, but I bet we can work out a great solution between us. Mm -hmm. You watch the stuff start to filter up when you give them the opportunity uh, to really input into the result. 
Yeah, and it's very important that they become part of that end end goal. I, I liked what you were saying before about there being a, a plan and a three-year plan and you need to envisage what, where your staff will be, maybe not from an individual basis, but maybe just from saying that role, that person in that role, then uh, this is where I would like to see them in three years' time. If I put three people underneath them, well, they're in a managerial role. Exactly. And teams tend to grow in uh, groups of pods. Uh, so generally a group of four, then 12, then 24 is oh. how they tend to grow. But one of the best, um, I've got this little model that I use called Four Futures and it's amazing and it still shocks me now when I go and meet business owners, how many people haven't done that thinking yet. And you ask them to say, all right, in three years' time, what's your revenue look like? What does your um, attrition look like? So what's your profit figures? And then of your team, and this is critical, what percentage of them would you rate as good to great performers? And then you can plot all of that around. But it's really interesting when I do that with business owners, they go, I haven't thought about that. Mm. I'm like, if you haven't thought about that in three years time, how do you know where you're going? How does everybody know where they're going and how they can play and you know, put a big part of that into getting that result for you. Because employees are so important to the growth of the business, it almost sounds as though we've all been told we need a business plan. We've all been told we need a marketing plan. It sounds to me like all businesses should have an HR plan. Exactly. Because what you're talking about is quite a decent lead in time for the process of hiring. I mean, I'm, I understand what the process is from a legal sort of payroll sort of you know, what the obligations are, but those are just tick boxes. Having a plan in place not only envisages what order in which you're going to employ people, like you said, look at what your strengths and weaknesses are, and then what your process is going to be to employ them, and then where do you see in three years' time those jobs growing? Now, like all good business plans, you go back, you redress it, you see if there's anything that's not quite working, you might do that annually at very least. Mm. But it sounds to me that we need to rethink that forward planning as small businesses and start including the component of HR, because how on earth can you grow? Exactly. You know, we have a little model we use called the employee commitment model, and you, we help business owners plot where their employees sit at the moment. And it, it's enlightening to them because they go right well that group's got it we've got to either move them up or out mm. and that group's our highly engaged workforce so a statistic for you is if you engagement is the measure of discretionary effort in other words in small business we call it morale um, so how far is that em employee going to push for you because they're engaged and, and bought into what you're doing in your vision and businesses that have engagement levels of 75 percent and above get 21 percent more productivity and 20 percent more profitability than groups in the bottom 25 percentile point. So you want to build highly engaged teams. So your next question is, well, how do you build a highly engaged team? A lot of it is that communication, that business strategy, it's that vision, and it's being an authentic leader. I think, you know, in the past we had leadership where we were 10 foot tall and bulletproof and, you know, no leader wanted to show their weakness. In actual fact, our employees are quite happy to see that we have vulnerabilities and we're not experts at absolutely everything. And they're more drawn to those leaders because those people are, are taking them on the journey together and, and give great, the best thing you can do is give feedback. Say, Alexi, that was a fantastic job. The reason why that was so brilliant was this was the outcome. I'd love to see more of that. And this was the impact to our client. And you watch Alexi do that again and again and again, and then find other areas that you want to reward and recognise and then get clever with how you reward and recognise. You know, you're not speaking too differently from the way that we as consultants deal with our clients. 
we are open, we're communicative. This is what is our strengths are mm. as a small business. We're fantastic at um, at giving feedback and getting feedback and changing and being adaptable and, and maybe manipulating who we deal with and who we don't we deal with. That's the that's the core uh, skill set that we need to take when we're, when we're dealing with HR. Yes. I'm not saying that we treat our staff, or maybe I am saying we treat our staff like clients. Because at the end of the day, they're going to help grow our business just like our clients are. Yeah. Well, I mean, Richard Branson says it all the time, that his team is more important than his clients. Because if he's got the right team, then his clients will be happy. Mm, very true. Very interesting, interesting point to note. Let's just take a quick short break and listen to a community service announcement. You're listening to Triple H 100.1 FM on Small Biz Matters. We will be back after this. Sorry, Madonna, I'm going to turn you down because we've got much more important things to turn about here, talk about here on Small Biz Matters. Uh, so you're back with Alexi Boyd and Natasha Hawker, who is the author of, I'm just going to go back to my, my beginning bit, Hire and Fire, Everything in Between. And like I said at the beginning of the program, it's one of those books that you do want to leave on your desk, dog-eared, as you mentioned, with something that you want to be able to um, refer back to all the time, which I think is very important. So let's talk about just some top tips and strategies that we can leave our, our listeners with in terms of um, retention, uh, engagement, and then hanging on to those employees and managing them well. We all remember when we were in our previous lives and when we were going, even going through uni and having those uni jobs, um, those really great bosses. Mm. We all want to be one of those great bosses to our employees. Give me some top tips about how we can be that. Yeah, well, I think the first thing I would actually say to be a great boss, be authentic and, and um, lead by example and and show your vulnerabilities and inclusiveness and communicate. We don't communicate enough with our team. You actually need a communication strategy about how you're going to communicate. So an example being we use Voxer, which is this fabulous little um, walkie-talkie because I'm often on the road and so I've got my whole team on a distribution list or I can individually send messages, quick and dirty messages that just make things really easy to happen. The other thing is... So a bit, tell us what that was again. What's Voxer. Voxer. It's a free app. V-O-X. E-R. E-R. Great. Um, the other thing I would say as a business owner is you have legal obligations. The main one is that you need to know what modern award your business is covered by. And in actual fact, in your contracts, you need the modern award in there, the classification of the role under that modern award, and you need to give out the fair work info statement. And if you don't do that, you are breaching your legal obligations under the Fair Work Act. Why is that a problem? Well, at the moment, the fines for a breach are $54,000 per breach. Irrespective of how much you're paying your employee or Correct. how big your employee, your Correct. staff is. So um, I think what I would say is that Fair Work's been in seven years now and they're losing their patience. So we're very good at the beginning, but they're now saying why are, are small businesses and, and, and to a lesser extent, larger businesses not getting this stuff. So for example, you must have that modern award in the workplace and uh, it needs to be available to your team and they need to know where it is. So that is a bit of an issue and I'm seeing more and more cases and I'm not suggesting you get the full whack of the 54,000, but they are able to do that. Um, and so I would make sure that you've got all of your employment law obligations in place. Um, use a, you know, a, some sort of audit tool. We've got one that we can help small businesses with, but it's to make sure that you're doing what you should be doing right. Because the worst thing for you and small business can come unstuck with a big fine. And, you know, it could be a $10,000 fine that brings them unstuck because we don't have fabulous cash flows or reserves there. So, you know, make sure that you get help in this area. You know, the saddest thing is when you see a business come undone, not because they weren't, you know, doing the right thing with in terms of their clients, but they got these fundamental things right. 
wrong, mm. rather. Mm-hmm. And, and it's that whole processes and procedures. And, and I do, I'm going to keep coming back to what you were saying before about that lead in time, because so often um, in the role as management consultant, I'm, I'm done with saying that people are bookkeepers when they're bookkeepers. They're not. They're management consultants. Yeah. And so many times when we talk to our, our uh, clients, um, they're going, oh, yeah, I need to hire someone and I'm going to hire them and their name is so-and-so. And um, I need you to build them on payroll because I'm paying them tomorrow. And you go, what? Mm. You know, the lead in time is so crucial. Have that plan in place. See where you want with this person or your team to be in three years' time, even if it's just your first, and make sure you're getting all those box ticks. Now, I, I don't know about you, but I find the um, the Fair Work Ombudsman page okay. Mm-hmm. But quite often when I've directed people to, to look at that, to get a checklist on what they need to do and checking the award weight, it's actually come back with different information the three or four times that they've asked the same question. Yeah. So where is the best place to get that information from? And and what can a, a small business do for due diligence to make sure that they're, they're making yeah. sure they're writing down that that information is correct? Yeah, I think there's a couple of things. The Fair Work um, site is reasonable. I would um, get the award. It's all in the award. It is a 60-page document and you have to get sort of a bit legalistic, but it is in there. Um, the other tip is if you ring the Fair Work info line, take a reference number. So <laughs> Talk to any government organisation. Any organisation, take a reference number because if something comes back to bite you and you can say, hang on, I rang on the 6th of August and here was my reference number, you'll be protected. Mm. So I myself have rung Fair Work and got three different answers on three different calls. Mm. Um, so, you know, you do need to get that. Um, you might want to get some legal advice or some HR advice and if you coupled all of that up and you can say, here, I've done my due diligence and it's wrong um, that, and you've got those justified then I think you've got a reasonable case to protect yourself. And that, that's in terms of engaging with employees in the first place. Um, how do you uh, ascertain whether or not someone must have a pay rise? So are we still in the world where there is this CPI increase um, as there, a minimum? Yeah, there's no legal requirement to have a pay rise unless they are sitting on the minimum award minimum. So, for example, I think at the moment, and the listeners may correct me if I'm wrong, I think it's $16.87 an hour. Mm-hmm. <coughs> Excuse me. So, if you are only paying that, that goes up every year in mm-hmm. about July. So, you need to make sure you're on top of that because it always it pretty much increases every year and that's how you could fall under the award and then that would be a breach and a $54,000 fine. Is that the underpayment. same for all awards or just that minimum? Um, it, well, it's the same for all awards. So, they all have a minimum rate to pay. So I always try and say to our clients, pay above the award. One, because it gives you a better quality of employee, but it gives you that buffer in case something happens and it moves and you're distracted. Mm, mm, mm. You're not going to get pinged because you took your eye off the ball. Yeah, that's a, a good tip. And also with regards to your documentation. So we all, we all in our due diligence, we have a, a, an employment contract, don't we, everyone? We have a, a staff um, a manual as such, which shows the uh, expectations and what your basic expectations are with regards regards to social media use and confidentiality and all those bits and pieces. And we've got all that paperwork in place. Um, how often should you be re-addressing your contract, for instance, if you've got a long-term employee, should they be on the same contract five years later? No. Uh, the tip is we recommend to our clients they update their employment contracts every 18 months to two and a half years or in the case of a major piece of, piece of legislation change. So we've just had all of our contracts up, uh, updated. And I think that's the same for your policies and, and so on because bullying policy has changed as well. So there's a whole lot of changes that happen. So you do need to keep that up to date. I think one of our clients' um, most common frustration is they'll say to me, I'm about to get some policies. I've got to write those, but they keep falling off the to-do list. 
because it's not their core skill, it's not what they're good at. So what we developed was a hire-to-fire toolkit, which they can go on and download all the policies that they need. So they're done for them. They just put their logo on and we keep them up to date all the time to, the, to make it easier because you don't want to get bogged down in stuff that's not your core business, mm. but you need to have this stuff to protect you. Mm, absolutely, because it's uh, and a lot of people will argue that, well, I'm just in the business of doing this. And so, well, no, you're not. Once you're in the business of hiring people, you're also an employee, uh, an employer, and you need the, to meet those obligations because you are running a business and you're not running a hobby and you have obligations to these people because they are they are looking to you as a boss as, a, as an employer as a you know source of income and you have to look after them if for no other reason for retention because exactly. otherwise they're not they're just not going to stick around and the other p point i would caution people on is something called sham contracting which is the use of independent contractors uh, sham contracting is where it's deemed that you're using an independent contractor rather than a permanent employee and ato don't like them because they don't play pay as you go tax and fair work don't like them because they think as a business owner you're trying to shirk your entitlements. Again, there are significant fines for breaches and there's an added sting in the tail here that if, for example, you have an independent contractor who's been working for you Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday for the last four years, uh, they would deem that potentially to be a permanent part-time employee, in which case you have to back pay uh, pro rata and annual leave, back pay, assuming they would have taken half their sick days and, back, and now accrue long service for them. Is there a move at the moment, I've been hearing that there's a move with the ATO to force anyone who's an, as a contractor, even if they are deemed to be a contractor, there's going to be a move that you must pay their super. Uh, that was already happening. So uh, the advice we got from our lawyers and our accountants, even as far as two years ago, was in, uh, if they're independent contractors, you pay super. Separately? Yeah. Not to the, the same bank account as their invoice goes to? Yeah. And so just remind everybody here that the ATO does provide the Small Business Super Clearinghouse. Um, and as of, I think it was July last year, you needed to lodge all of your superannuation contributions via a clearinghouse, which means it needs to be an electronic contribution. And essentially what that is, is you're telling the ATO, or you're not telling the ATO, but they'll find out, you're telling the superannuation fund that you will be paying this, it is for this period of time, it is for this employer. Now, the great thing about the ATO super clearinghouse is that it will um, accept those funds and then disseminate it to all your different employees. And one thing that I'm a big fan of is when you pay the ATO super clearinghouse, on the 30th of June at 11.59pm, you have met your obligations as far as they're concerned. If you do the same with an outside uh, clearinghouse such as Australian Super, who are very happy to take your money and disseminate it to lots of other super funds, if there's any bounce back, if there's an incorrect account number, for instance, and it comes back to you, you have not met those obligations because um, only the ATO can provide you with that that certainty. So make sure you use the ATO Super Clearinghouse. And those of you out there who are saying, oh, but I don't want the ATO knowing what I'm doing. Don't kid yourselves. They know. They it. know everything. And, and, and work backwards from the fact that you're going to be audited. Assume that you will be and then just feel that you're doing everything correctly from there. So look, Natasha, we've discussed a whole lot of stuff today and I'm a, I'm a big fan of HR. I think it's very important. It's important to get right. It's important for small businesses to think like corporates, that they have to be aware of what their obligations are and their legal necessities. But um, tell me again, once again, what your website is so that we can draw people to that and explain all those, there are some fantastic free um, tools mm. there available too. Yeah, it's www.employeematters.com.au. We do have loads of free uh, checklists and templates. Uh, there's some great blogs on there. Uh, you can sign up to the newsletter. Um, so there's some good free stuff that should be able to start to get you 
uh, going in the right direction. And of course, don't. Where can people get your book? Uh, any good bookstore from High to Fire and everything in between. You can buy it on um, Kindle, and there is a, a four dollars ninety five for the PDF copy on the website. Fantastic. Look, thank you so much for coming onto the show today. It's been really resource heady, heavy, and interesting and fabulous. And and we'd love you to have you come on the show again. Look, you've been listening to Small Biz Matters, everyone. Thank you again for coming on, Natasha. Thank you very much for having me. And we'll speak to everyone next week with another fabulous guest. Don't forget about the Admin Hubs launch on the 14th of June at Event Cinemas Hornsby. It's going to be a fabulous event and a great fundraiser for the Kuringai Women's Shelter. We look forward to speaking to you next week. This is Alexi Boyd signing off for Small Biz Matters.